Hello and welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. Today is a special day because it is International Women's Day, and I wanted to uh, provide another type of uh, another type of episode uh, in which I am actually going into the past because I have had uh, a lot of uh, guests that are uh, that are women, and that is not by design. It is just because they are the best person to uh, provide value on a certain topic or a certain aspect related to uh, to B two B consulting. So the concept of the consulting lifestyle is always the same uh, you first build decide which lifestyle you want and then you try to build your business your consulting business around it and a lot of women have done that however I wanted to um, uh, highlight the contributions of uh, women in consulting into different aspects. So uh, I take the aspect of uh, leadership. I will take also um, the aspect of uh, uh, diversity and inclusion and uh, the fight against uh, uh, inequality. I will also be uh, talking about uh, sales and uh, how to build a certain uh, uh, consulting business model. This is really fundamental uh, for uh, for consulting lifestyle. And something else that is also fundamental is mindset. So uh, all those aspects, all those subjects will be covered into uh, different parts of past episodes uh, that would be then uh, uh, published into this uh, this one episode. And if you really like the content, um, if you like the content of this episode, it means that you will like the content of past episodes. Therefore, don't hesitate to subscribe to the show. You can do it in different ways. So you can go onto our website, uh, consultinglifestyle.fm, and there you can uh, you can see uh, past episodes and you can also subscribe to the Consulting Lifestyle community. Also, uh, we are available on several podcasting platforms. So I'm thinking about Apple, thinking about Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google, even Amazon Music. Uh, you can find us um, pretty uh, pretty quickly. Uh, also, the other um, uh, the other thing I wanted to uh, uh, I, I wanted to add is if you like the podcast don't hesitate to post a review uh, on the on the podcast uh, that is also very good it will help us uh, it should help us in our ranking but it also helps us into uh, the type of uh, content that we provide so the more feedback we get the better we can uh, target our content towards something that you really want and something that fits with the values that we want to uh, to provide on the show um so without further ado uh, let's start uh, with the, the first uh, type of contribution that women have done in consulting, and that is related to a leadership. If I want to even be more specific, uh, it is about servant leadership. So let's listen to that. And that part is um, a link to the episode number five with Denise Sarkor. Uh, that's an amazing story. You went through uh, a lot of uh, different functions that uh, that appear in the company. <laughs> you went yeah. from the finance to operations to uh, to to sales, and you 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 said two two things that are very interesting. Maybe you could dive a little bit deeper on that. Is uh, you talk about servant leadership? So what what does that represent for you? And also uh, you um, define yourself as a for partially as a collector of skills. So I, I really wanted you to. Go, go a little bit deeper on those two things that you uh, that you mentioned. I think the audience can get a lot of, out of uh, what you would say. Okay, so I'll I'll start with servant leadership. Um, I will say, and it, it it's also an important 
topic, I think, in this day and age where there, there could be a different view of what leadership is and what really moves people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about who I am. Um, and I would encourage, encourage anyone listening to, to take that time, that quiet time to reflect on who you are, what motivates you, what unique gifts and talents you have to offer, and then think about how you can add value into the lives of others, right? Yes. So this, this concept of servant leadership for me is this egoless um, ability to just be and to serve and to understand that we're all connected. Um, and I think that there is a need to see more of it in, in a lot of the corporations that we work in today. Um, I do believe that there's going to be a higher demand for that kind of leadership and behavior, um, especially looking at the generational dynamics, right? Millennials are, are not um, sticking around in, in different spaces if they don't feel supported, if they don't feel that, other, that leaders are uh, willing or able to get into the weeds with them, right? Um, and, 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 and respect. I think servant leadership is also respecting that the people that you lead have a point of view. Um, I think servant leadership is, is understanding that a good idea can come from anywhere uh, and that titles don't necessarily, um, you know, uh, mean that all the answers lie with one person. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree. Um, partially, there is yeah, a cultural, cultural and or generational uh, gap between uh, what the leader was, which was a uh, focus on experience, seniority, and title, and uh, and today is really about the human, the human itself. Uh, the, the leader is not necessarily like the how can I say that the most talented uh, team members. But he's a real, he's a real team member. He or she is a real team, team member. Gets people to uh, agree to to a vision and to uh, and to start taking action. And everybody feels part of the team. Everybody feels respected. And uh, as you said, millennials are uh, pretty fickle. <laughs> and, uh, but that's not something necessarily negative. But they uh, one thing that will get them to move is is for sure if they feel. Uh, not respect or they just feel that they are used and then they they, they just decide to just decide to go to go somewhere else <laughs> yeah exactly and and that and I want to make sure that I speak a little bit about the other point you talked about collector of skills mm-hmm. uh, and for me that simply means um, that <laughs> that I'm always investing in myself right mm-hmm. it took a while to get there uh, but in our in the space that we work in, you know, Diogene, you know, in, in the SAP space, there's always some new technology. There's a new approach, um, and your skills can become very stagnant very quickly, uh, and then you won't be involved in in projects because there's someone else with the very skill that that client needs, yes. right? So, so the two concepts for me are completely tied to one another. Um, you know, this idea of being a servant leader for me is the willingness to ask the question of the client, what do you need, mm-hmm. right? And then figuring out whether you are the right person to upskill and learn those skills to serve them, or if there's the right person that you can help identify to serve the client, 
right? So it's a, for me, it, it, it's represented, representative of a growth, growth mindset, right? The ability to understand that where you are today is not necessarily where, where you have to be tomorrow, to have a goal of where you want to go and to continuously improve yourself um, in, in order to be of service to be it your client, your family, um, anyone around you. And now let's continue on the topic of leadership, uh, but more as a as an entrepreneur uh, with Rachel Orumor, who is based in West Africa, in the country uh, Bena, uh, and she started her business very early uh, in her uh, in her career, uh, and she has a very bold story as to how she uh, how she started. So uh, listen to that. Uh, and uh, I, I think with that, we can all, sh it all proves that uh, women in consulting uh, can have and often have a lot of courage. Uh, where, where, where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I think I'll just, if I go chronologically, it's actually yes, let's be very go chronologically. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, like I said, so in 2011, Uh, based on the fact that, like I told you, I I actually was privileged enough to ha have a determination to succeed professionally at a very young age. Mm -hmm. So all through my time in the university, I was always doing one internship or the other in one company. So by the time I was running my master's program, I think I kind of feel, well, none of the companies around me actually can value my talent. Mm -hmm. So I started a company of my own. Because wow. I was actually very passionate about the whole software industry and yeah. how the whole process comes together to give you a fantastic commercial, how would I say, marketable application, which I don't see around me at Sardin, either in Benin or in Nigeria or in any cross-board West African countries I've been to. So mm -hmm. I started with this company, which is actually purely software-based, not just uh, developing applications, but more like giving companies conceptual notes they need to properly document their applications, which is actually what I, my core discipline in school. So I started a company with Sunsubit Nigeria in Nigeria in 2011. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went through all the whole process of registering the company, making it formal. But because I was, because of my master's program, I was more in Benin than in Nigeria. So I thought, okay, why, why not just create another company in Benin so you can also do it on both ends. So I created a company, my first company in Benin Republic, and our first client was Diamond Bank in Benin. So it Diamond was actually a very Benin. funny experience in Benin. Yeah, okay. okay. So the, it was a very funny experience because I remember when we eventually got the presentation interview and I was in the room and we were all still seated, everybody was quiet and they asked me, where is my boss? And I said, <laughs> no, I'm the boss because I'm just about one one uh point 155 centimeters so i have very small stature so like i'm the boss like okay <laughs> so who is the software expert i said i am the software expert <laughs> so that was a very tough one for all these i would say grown men already seen a woman being a software engineer and with the profile we sent in they asked me again who sent in the profile I said i did send in the profile so we did the presentation and they're like okay you did very good but it's actually going to be very difficult convincing the board to give you a banking application considering mm -hmm. the new company i said don't worry i'll do it for free i'll mm -hmm. do it for free if you like it then you pay me double for the next application which they accepted 
they said wow. I said they said okay um we can give you one month to do it and I said no we'll, we'll get it done in two weeks I think I just said two weeks I can't I don't really think I was actually quantifying the work done work to be done but I was just out there to impress and ensure that we do the good job so when I got back I called my developers and I said okay I just committed something on you so you have to do <laughs> this so it was, it was to create um we we're supposed to create an API they have two different applications from which they need messages, but both applications don't communicate. So we need to create API that can um, that can provide a communication channel between both. So we're able to deliver in two weeks to their utmost surprise because it's been a pro- problem running for like a year. They didn't get a solution to that. So from that, it became like, no, they know what they are doing. And that was how we started working with the bank. Wow. So um, I think I catch my first million, even if it is safest check when I was 24. Oh, <laughs> so I think um, from that point on, um, also going back to say when I started university, I was in two universities at the same time. I also have a degree in linguistics. I studied Chinese, French and English uh, while I was doing software. So the old linguistic idea was my dad's idea because he has this idea, oh, you work with the UN or any diplomatic uh, institution, Mm -hmm. but I like the software part. So basically nobody really believed in my software dreams. They just felt, okay, just do your linguistics, then get a job with a diplomatic institution. But when I called home and I said, okay, then the software thing is kind of paying off. So everybody started taking me seriously from that point on. And yeah. I think that was, yeah. This is I think an amazing. That was, uh, <laughs> this is an amazing yeah. start, an amazing, uh, an amazing success story because you are only uh, about twenty-four years old. After having listened to those two uh, fascinating stories from uh, Rachel and uh, and Denise, uh, which center a bit around uh, leadership, I would like to uh, start on the subject of uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, and uh, there is a great, uh, there was a great episode, which is the episode number uh, uh, thirty, in which uh, Kelly Brown Johnson uh, p- shared. Uh, so she she had a lot of vulnerabil- vulnerability because she uh, shared her story about autism and the fact that uh, her autism was diagnosed very late uh, in in her life, meaning that it was diagnosed in her uh, uh, in her thirties, uh, and that was one that is one of the drivers that pushed her to start her company uh, completely inclusive. So uh, let's listen to uh, Kelly Brown Johnson. So um, you have been diagnosed in your thirties. Was it uh, in Montreal that you have been diagnosed, or you had to go somewhere else to to know that? Yeah, um, so I I got diagnosed here in Montreal. Um, so back when I was growing up in the eighties, <laughs> people didn't have uh, the same understanding of autism. I don't think the awareness was there, mm-hmm. and um, people didn't expect it to appear in in girls or women. They thought it was only boys. Um, so that wasn't on the radar for doctors. We, you know, my mom, my mom and my dad, they took me to many, many doctors. They, they did know something was different about me and they, they brought me all over the place. I had lots of testing done, but not testing specific to autism. That wasn't in anybody's. Question you know, like, yeah, yeah, I see. I yeah. See. yeah. Okay. So it wasn't until the awareness is starting to grow and we still see uh, that is a, a common problem in the community. Um, women 
are, are, are only getting diagnosed now if they are. There's like, they call it the misgeneration. You know, women are, are finally getting diagnosed now. Um, people of color in general are less likely to have a diagnosis. Um, it's just, it's just really about society's understanding of the, yeah. of the condition and building that awareness. Uh, that, that's very interesting. And when you talk about uh, building that awareness, is that the, the mission of uh, Completely Inclusive? So yeah, my, mine is really to break down those barriers and those myths, the idea that, that um, the misunderstandings that people have. When uh, I know that if you look at my face, when, when I say I'm autistic, that's not the face that somebody puts to somebody who has autism, right? No. If you ask somebody, I mean, no, people, they, they're listening. They can't, they can't see me. But, uh, but, um, but when I show up, that's part of what I try to do is, is this is what it can look like. It's not the stereotypical uh, male or white male. I mean, we see in the media, you know, there's some shows, there's the good doctor, there's atypical, or there's Sheldon even from, um, from that, uh, I can't remember the comedy show now, um, but they're all white men. True. And so we need that diversity to kind of show that that it, it happens across all populations all across the world. There's nobody that's not touched uh, by autism across the world. Um, so I, I'm trying to change perceptions of what people think when they think of disability or when they think of autism mm -hmm. and, and to take away that fear that people have because people are very scared by what they don't know or what they don't understand. Last year, we uh, also had um, pretty tragic events um, that happened in the all over the world with the pandemic. That's for sure. Uh, but in the in the context as well of um, uh, inequality, there was that event with uh, the the murder of uh, George Floyd in the United States that prompted me to uh, try to. Uh, Uh, have an open discussion, a panel discussion with a few people uh, from different backgrounds, uh, and I wanted to to uh, discuss the fact, uh, to discuss about whether or not, as an entrepreneur, as a consultant, should you take a stand against uh, inequality and how you should uh, you should act about it. And I had three people. Uh, one was uh, already another guest and another podcaster, actually, uh, Michael uh, Michael Zipersky. Uh, there was also Dwight Best and uh, and one woman, which is uh, who is a uh, Ravi Thor. And uh, uh, they, the, the three of them gave uh, equally absolutely great points. They all have different backgrounds, so uh, it was great to uh, uh, to hear that. Uh, but um, I was I selected uh, a part uh, that uh, uh, Ravitor has uh, has mentioned. It was a little bit at the end of the uh, uh, of the episode, and uh, that is the the importance of uh, of leadership, um, the leadership in organization. So to pay attention to uh, uh, what they are doing with regard to their uh, diversity and inclusion uh, um, uh, initiatives. Uh, so uh, uh, Ravitor is an impact leadership consultant, if I can say it like that, uh, but uh, she provides a very good, uh, very good point there. Yeah, wonderful. I, I think that's a phenomenal place, like drop mic at this point. That's excellent. We should just end the episode right there. But no, seriously, that's exactly, that's the crux of exactly what needs to happen, right? Is we need to amplify the voices that really matter. And unfortunately, what's happened is a systemic and sustained version of amplifying 
the wrong type of voices just because they believe in their truth that much, right? And we understand, and Michael, you so eloquently put it, we we know what's actually right and wrong. I mean, as humans, it's it, it's ingrained within us. And so it is having uh, those uncomfortable conversations, right? And it, it goes back to a point, Dijin, what you were talking about earlier, do we politely have these conversations within organizations or not? And whether you're a one-man team or you're a large, you know, uh, public traded company, it doesn't matter. It's about having real raw conversations at this point. And, and anything in between is, um, again, it's BS. I'm really trying very hard today to keep it together, but it's true BS, right? Because it's going to be seen through. And so when you're at the, it transitions beautifully into the hiring and the leadership level of, of having those real deep, raw uncomfortable conversations. And yes, for the interim, it doesn't seem like it really um, has anything to do with business profits or business trajectory or anything of that matter. But the long term, you know, that's the the macro look you've got, but the or the micro look that you've got. But when you look at the macro look and you look at those actions, they build sustainability within the organization. You as a company become start to create a legacy, right? And isn't that what really companies are all about is creating legacy, not just the brand is the legacy, not just the product, right? Products come and go. And so having these difficult conversations, looking at your board members, I mean, board members is a great place to start because quite frankly, change happens from the top down, right? Like there's a trickle down effect. Although your organization, the employees, the team members and so forth will have an influence on, on the what you say and what you do, the reality is, is the decision makers, right? The C-suite, the board members and so forth are the ones that actually put these systemic changes in place if they choose to do so. And so having that deep, raw, uncomfortable conversation of, okay, let's take a look at who's actually sitting at the table. What do they actually represent? Does this represent our values and our mission? And I will go back to it over and over and over because that is what sets it's your compass, right? It's the compass of your brand message. And, and when you start to realize that, okay, you know, Bob, the, the board member, Bob, who, who's been on here since basically eons, who's running the show, who seems to think it's hilarious whenever um, there's, you know, a racist joke made or so forth, let's shut it down. If that's not part of our conversation, it's not part of our, of our mentality, it's not part of our value, then why are we upholding that just for the sake of being polite and making things comfortable for people and moving the needle on profit versus versus your your values, right? And I think it comes with an even deeper sense of understanding privilege, right? Privilege, and that's the conversation we're talking about, really doesn't have, and this might rub some people the wrong way, but I'm just going to be frank about it, really has nothing to do with color. Privilege has a lot to do with just classification at this point, right? And everything that we're looking at, whether it's the pandemic or whether it's, and it's the pandemic that really pushed us to see the, the, the racism at a deeper level, right? It's not brand new. Dwight said it perfectly. It's not brand new. Instead, we just have the infrastructure available today to, to not only now sit at home and see these things being documented and published on social media, on media, we've got access to technology and so forth. The reality is, is we've been pushed to have to look at these things 
head on and privilege is really the basis of everything, right? Oppression is the basis of everything. And so when we look at privilege and we think, okay, regardless of your color, your, your race or anything, when you're in a position of privilege and power, which many companies are, which many organizations are, you have a responsibility with that privilege comes responsibility to do something right. And so today in 2020, ironically, the year of, of clarity, right? Why not have deep conversations, get to know your brand really well, understand what the values are. And if you are, you know, if, if you want to remain the same, great. I, I wish you the best sort of, but I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to sink pretty fast. Um, but if you wish to create an evolutionary process within your brand, which is, I think the best way to go about it, no matter what your stand was before, if you choose to make a choice that's different and then uphold values that represent, you know, goodness and kindness and compassion and understanding and empathy, and then also uphold those through action, through leadership changes and through hiring minorities, hiring um, based on not just a piece of paper and letters behind your name, but understanding people are diverse and bring experience through education and life skills, right? Skills. Then you have a greater opportunity at creating meaningful impact that is going to bring diversity to the team, which brings diversity to innovation, entrepreneurship, and potentially um, other spinoffs as you will. We have talked about leadership, um, diversity and inclusion, and let's go, let's go back as well to the nitty-gritty of consulting, which is what has to be your business model? Do you think that there is only one business model in consulting? Do you think that the only way to sell your consulting services is to, um, is to sell your hours and manpower? Therefore, if you have more clients, you just need more people to serve them and you, you just have to grow, uh, to grow like that. Um, this is maybe a, a belief that you may have or you may think that it's not true, but you don't know that they are, uh, but you don't know as well the existence of the other business models. And um, there is a, a very, very uh, uh, fascinating uh, answer that uh, Lizzie Morris uh, provided to me uh, that is on uh, episode 15. Uh, she provided that to me uh, when uh, she was talking about uh, her, co the, her business model at Birded Eagle. So uh, listen to that because uh, and take notes because I think it is important uh, for you uh, to take that into account when you want to start your uh, your consulting business. Mm -hmm. you do you do you you deliver a service? You also deliver training. Would mm -hmm. uh, you do you do you work based on the same principles that you? Uh, maybe it's not the word principle. I mean, same business model as when you were an employee. No, we've shifted our business model, so we okay. don't create consultancy dependency. Okay. Now we don't create, we don't create consultancy, consultancy dependency. In fact, oh. we're very anti-consultancy dependency, which is very different from the models people will grow in in a consultancy practice because the model in a consultancy practice is open up doors for more boots on the ground. The more boots, the better, and the faster you get promoted by the more opportunities you open up for people to be billable, right? Yeah. That's the big model. Our model is go in, equip you so you can do on your own, and then when you want to go to the next level, you call us back and we'll tweak. Mm -hmm. So our aim is to give you launch and lift versus to have you so dependent on us, you don't think you can make a move without us. 
Ah, okay, excellent. Very different. It's a different model. Yes, a very, uh, very different model and a model that requires a, a lot of onboarding, I, I assume. Are you? Well, you know, what it requires on the client's end is that when they bring us in, they know why they're bringing us in. Mm. So they bring us in to get lift in their team. So they bring in our expertise and they make sure that when they bring us on board, they have FTEs on the ground. They're pairing with us. Okay. So they're getting our expertise hands on. So when we leave, they don't miss us. Okay. Okay. Yes. yes. You see that yes. difference? So yes. the fabulous thing about bringing in um, expertise into your organization is that it's like a boot camp training for your employees without mm -hmm. them being in a training class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the big consultancy model doesn't work that way. They're not coming in to train and lift you because if they come in and train you, then you won't call them back and they can't stay on the ground. Yeah. Right. So they, like I said, we've been, how our background is big consultancy. So we understood it, but there were things that in our own personal value system didn't align with that model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So our value system is of the idea of, we don't want to rape your pocket. We want to help you put money back into it. Mm -hmm. So, and if we do that and bring you value, you'll always call us back when you need something or you'll refer us. And our business has grown from referrals, from past clients, past students, because they've experienced that integrity value. That's where we're doing with you what we would want somebody to come and do with us. Yeah, that's amazing what you say, because um, one question that I was, was going through my head, but you actually answered is, okay, were you not uh scared or worried that uh because you have delivered your service and after that afterwards your the client doesn't need you then it's kind of oh you kind of lose uh you kind of lose a client and then you have to go back into a uh, uh prospection mode but then you mm -hmm. talk about the referrals so it com which comes naturally so basically your yes. client acquisition process if i can say it like that is a yes. lot based on based on referrals and uh, absolutely and they become your salespeople Exactly, exactly. You know, because they've had a good service, they yeah. tell other people. Yes. Now, yeah. for independence working, that's the kind of system you really want to have working for you. Mm -hmm. Because if people feel that you've shafted them, especially when you're an independent by yourself, you'll get a bad reputation for it. True, true. Now, big consultancies don't get bad reputations for that because they're huge, right? And there is what I call a sprinkle of value they bring, but they never bring you the whole solution. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big, that's a big differentiator indeed. It's a bit huge, yeah. you know, and that's that whole model has been set up for centuries. It, it will always exist. Mm -hmm. Right. And like I said, that model gives you as a consultant who one day may want to own their own consultancy practice models to see and learn from. And then based on who you are and what you want to offer, you fine-tune your own. Now, let's talk about sales and the great contribution that uh, Stacey Brown Randall has done at episode 72. Um, the episode is about referrals. So how to gain, how to uh, get referrals without asking and how to include that as part of your sales strategy. I do think that her answer is very insightful. Uh, you can take a pen and paper again and try to, uh, try to include that into your, uh, into your consulting business or your consulting profession, uh, in, uh, in general. So, uh, listen to that part of Stacey Brown Randall.
And then, then how, how do I introduce that within my sales strategy? I think you, you mentioned that at the start of the, of the interview, that the referral should be part of the overall uh, sales strategy. They should. Okay, so here's what's so fascinating about sales. We have typically taught sales, like I'm, I'm thinking like all the sales trainer gurus of the world, right, have come before us. Like we have typically taught sales in specifically that you need two things within your sales strategy, right? The typical sales strategy has two parts. You have your prospecting plan and you have your marketing plan and they're good and you need them. I would never advocate or argue that you don't need parts and pieces of a prospecting plan or a marketing plan. But a, and a prospecting plan is things like, you know, whether it's going to networking events or making cold calls or sending cold emails, right? Or like trying to track down people on LinkedIn, right? or maybe it's the 7 million cups of coffee that one day we'll all get back to, right? When COVID is over. So it's all those ways that it's like that short-term mentality. I'm gonna go to this networking event or I'm gonna hop on this virtual networking event and try to meet somebody who wants to talk to me about becoming a client, right? So prospecting in nature is very much short-term mentality. And the end result and the end user of our message in prospecting, when it's those cold calls, we make that cold call, we're hoping the prospect answers the phone, right? The end user is the prospect. Go to that networking event. Hopefully I'm talking to a prospect. That means our whole messaging and the questions we ask and how we probe for pain and all the things you've been taught through sales training, they work a specific way because you're talking to a prospect, right? And it's the same thing with marketing. You should have marketing plans, whether it's a website, maybe you do ads, maybe you do sponsorships of events, you know, maybe you do PR and try to get some earned publicity, whatever it is within marketing, there are pieces of that you should have in your business too. And we recognize that it's a little longer term mentality, right? We understand prospecting is more like short term got to eat tomorrow, got to find a client. And marketing, we're willing to put a little bit more of a runway out there because we, we get it's not as completely short-term as prospecting. But the end user of all of our marketing messages is still the prospect. I'm going to set up this booth at this trade show and I'm going to help hope a prospect, a potential client walks up to talk to me or that when I do that Facebook ad or that ad in a print magazine, I'm going to hope that my prospect sees it and reaches out to me. Right. I mean, like that's ultimately the goal of prospecting and marketing is to communicate with our prospects. Right. So it makes sense then where the advice we get about referrals, if we think about referrals from a prospecting or a marketing mentality, it makes sense that the advice under the prospecting way is, well, then just ask for them or pay a commission for them. Right, so we're short-term mentality, focused on referrals, thinking about it from a prospecting mentality. We're gonna tell you to ask, just ask. That's the closest way to get to the prospect, right? Ask or pay for them. And on the marketing side, if we're thinking about referrals from a marketing perspective, we're gonna tell you to be overly promotional and gimmicky, right? It's like putting in your email signature line, the greatest compliment you can give me is a referral. No, duh, like nobody needs to be reminded of that, right? <laughs> So we look at referrals and we look at them and we try to smash them or push them into the box of prospecting and marketing. And the argument that I always make is that, yes, referrals are absolutely a part of your sales strategy, but it's not a two-legged stool. It's okay. a three-legged stool. Okay. You should have prospecting. You should have marketing, but you should also have a third leg to your sales strategy, which is your referral plan. Because here's the difference. Prospecting and marketing, our messaging is reaching out to the prospect. And our referral plan, the activities and the messaging that we're going to do, the end user of that are our referral sources. Because it's our referral sources who know the prospect, which means we're not communicating with a prospect when we're doing refer our referral strategy. 
we're communicating with our referral sources who know the prospects, which means everything about our messaging has to be different because it's no longer sales. It's relationship building and it's taking care of our relate of our relationships with our referral sources. And then of course, planting referral seeds. So that's how they think about us, but it's never asking and it's never paying compensation. Of course, there are some industries where that's allowed, but in the most case, what I'm talking about is like the behind the scenes kickback commission that we don't know that happens, but it's not paying for them. It's not asking for them and it's not being promotional and gimmicky. It is building relationships the right way with our referral sources. And then doing things that are memorable and meaningful using the right referral seed language so you stay top of mind with your referral sources, which means they're much more likely to refer you when opportunities present themselves. And then there's, of course, a way to make sure you've got the right people who are referring you so that you get, you know, volume of referrals as well. But it really does come down to that. Like referrals is a part of your sales strategy. It's just that it's a relationship building side of your sales strategy. And last but not least, um, Wendy Maynard. Um, I think uh, it is somebody that if you're on LinkedIn, you might uh, uh, you might know her. Uh, she has a lot of experience in uh, in marketing, and uh, today she's uh, she's uh, a, a, amongst other things, she is a LinkedIn uh, a LinkedIn specialist. And here we talk about um, the, my question was not directly about mindset, but the fact that you can have have it all so you don't necessarily to uh, you don't necessarily have to work with clients that you don't like you don't necessarily have to be stuck in a business model that you don't like be stuck in an industry that you don't like in a job that you don't like you can have it all and that's the point of consulting lifestyle that's the whole point of consulting lifestyle you choose your lifestyle and then you build a consulting business uh, uh, around it and i really love the answer of uh, of wendy maynard uh, that was in uh, episode uh, 21 and this will uh, close the whole episode thank you for you uh what does having a consulting lifestyle mean yeah that's actually a great question and so another thing that i take a big stand against is the hustle um this embracing hustle and so i have a lot of people who work with me who have certain things going on either they have kids that they want to spend time with. They just don't want to work as hard. Some of them have some health conditions that prevent them from working too many hours. There's a lot of stuff going on in people's lives, right? Mm -hmm. And so the truth is by working smarter and getting systems into your business, you don't have to hustle. I, you know, I grew a multi-million dollar firm essentially on, you know, a 40-hour work week. It's totally doable. I didn't have to work 70, 75, 80 90 hours and people run around bragging about how much they work. Well, I always wonder like, are you working that smart or, you know, what are you doing for those 90 hours? I'd love to see one of their timesheets. Um, they probably don't keep track, but I would love to see an actual timesheet and see if people are being productive. So, you know, my thing is having work-life balance and I encourage that in all my clients and I encourage that of everyone listening. You absolutely yep. can work reasonable hours. You can have time with your family. You, If you set up systems, you don't have to be chained to your laptop. You can go take vacations. And so for me, like the consulting lifestyle is you have it all, right? Like yep. you have income, you have great clients, you have time with your family and friends, you get in your, you know, fitness goals, whatever it is, hobbies, Uh, that that to me is what it means. Uh, that's great. That's great. It's life, life in general, and that, that's a great answer. Uh, so uh, thank you very much, uh, Wendy.
Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. So we went over the subject of uh, leadership, diversity and inclusion, entrepreneurship, um, mindset. That's how we uh, we ended. We also talk about business model, having a consulting business model and sales. I really hope that this episode was valuable for you and the contribution is completely made by uh, uh, by women. I have ha- I have a lot of interviews with only interesting guests and amongst them there are uh, there are women. So again, I want to say uh, happy International Women's Day and that is my best way to uh, contribute to it at least for uh, at least for today so i hope you enjoyed the episode and if you if you did subscribe to the podcast uh, you can go on consultinglifestyle.fm or you can leave um, or you can uh, subscribe to apple to spotify google amazon music etc and what i wanted to say as well you can also uh, leave a review or you can directly get in touch with me i am available on, on linkedin so you have my name, Diogène Tirandegua, and you can also send an email to myself, uh, info, uh, info at uh, my company, erphappy.com, erphappy.com. So thank you very much and have a great International Women Day. Bye-bye.